0: Yosemite podcast. I'm your host, Laura Jackson, a longtime resident of the Yosemite and interpretive naturalist guide for the Yosemite Conservancy. And on today's episode, we are going to be continuing our walk through Yosemite's earliest days as a settlement. This is the second part of a four-part series narrated by Yosemite storyteller and fellow Conservancy guide Brian Shore. So if you haven't listened to part one of this series, that was the last episode of Little YoPod titled Early Settlement and Trails of Yosemite. And I encourage you to listen to that one first to get the context for this story. So to recap the first part of this series, Brian was talking about the first people of Yosemite, the Awanichi and the Yosemite Indians and the trails they followed across the Sierra Nevada mountains in what we now know as Yosemite National Park. The Yosemite Indians and their predecessors took what was probably originally a game trail all the way from the Yosemite Valley, what they then called Owani, into Tuolumne Meadows and down Bloody Canyon toward Mono Lake, where they would trade goods they had procured on the western side of the Sierra Nevada, uh, acorns especially, for items from the eastern side of the Sierra Nevada, like uh, obsidian, fly larvae, <laughs> which apparently tastes like bacon bits, uh, and pinion pine nuts, <laughs> which tastes like pi- pine nuts. <laughs> the topography and environment... Of The west side of the mountain range is very different from the east side in the Sierra Nevada, which made for a really good variety of goods to trade in different seasons. I imagine the first people of Yosemite and the Mono Lake area had been meeting each other for hundreds of years, generation after generation to trade and visit, play games, meet loved ones, so on. It's not unlike our relationship with the area today, especially as locals. So Yosemite locals today wait all winter long for the snow to melt enough off of the Tago Pass Road to get over to the eastern Sierra, or the East Side, as we call it. And although we may not be trading obsidian for acorns, we always celebrate the opening of the Tioga Pass Road to see our loved ones and to enjoy the rewards of the Eastern Sierra that we don't have access to on the West Side, like really great trout fishing and high mountain peaks and those glorious natural hot springs. And it occurred to me recently that this tradition has been carried on now for hundreds of years and across cultures unanimously um, to this day. Anyway, so in this episode, Brian continues his story of Yosemite trails and early settlement with how things changed for the area and the native inhabitants following the gold rush in California and how we have those events to credit the development of many of the same roads and trails we follow today. So we pick, this, we pick up this story around 1851, when the conflicts between the miners and the Yosemite Indians started becoming frequent and increasingly violent. It was a very tumultuous time for the Yosemite Indians. They were risking the loss of their home and their way of life, as was the sad fate of all Native Americans in the western United States. But the Yosemite Indians were spared much of the early relocation efforts experienced by their na- neighboring tribes, Um, but that was all about to change for them. So I hope you enjoy part two of this story. I'll be back at the end of the episode to fill you in on some updates and ways to contact me. But for now, here it is, part two of Early Trails and Settlement of Yosemite with Conservancy Naturalist Guide and Storyteller Brian Shore.
1: Um, So it all changes and the persecution of the natives starts to really take full force. Later in the year... Uh, one of the lieutenants actually chased the natives up into the high country. Um, they chase them along a trail that leads out the east side of Yosemite Park. You know what that trail is? The trail's the Mono Indian Trail that they're chasing them on. And the uh, chief Tanaya and his people they escape out the east side, out Mono Pass, because yeah. at that time. The Mono Trail came in from Mono Pass, if you were traveling from the east, up Bloody Canyon, past Sardine Lakes, weren't called that at the time, Uh, and then through Mono Pass and down into that beautiful meadow, Tuolumne Meadows, where they used to gather. From there, it would come down to Tenaya Lake, that area, then over towards um, Porcupine Creek and Porcupine Flat, and then eventually, It would head down towards a place where we have a little campground now called Yosemite Creek Campground. Just about five miles from here. Although it might be closer to seven. (laughs) 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 It's just about five miles from here and you should recognize it because we walked on it already. Um, From there it could go down across the street, which wasn't there, to that place, White Wolf, and down into Aspen Valley, or, or you could take another trail um, and go to the southeast. Um, you could take a trail out of Tuolumne, a bunch of different ones. Apparently, there was a trail that came right through our area, right here, which isn't surprising, because as trail develops, we develop right on those Indian trails. So, um, So Lieutenant... Treadwell Moore chases the Indians out the east side through Mono Pass and doesn't catch them. But what he does catch, he catches sight of valuable looking mineral deposits, especially up on Tioga Hill, the area that we now call Tioga Pass, Gaylor Peak, known then as Tioga Hill, has some promising deposits there. And that word gets back to Mariposa. And by uh, that time in Mariposa, 1853, Uh, The mines are doing okay, but they're going from easy placer mining on top of the surface in the creeks into more organized mining, quartz mining. So when people hear about the possibility of a strike up in the high country, they investigate Uh, some of those people like Doc Chase. Take the old Mono Indian Trail along with Doc Chase is uh, another local Mariposa guy named Leroy Vining. Uh, And a few others, they make their way over the Sierra, and indeed they do see potential over there. Leroy sets up a sawmill in a town that soon has his name. Uh, Leroy, I don't think, lives long enough to see the town named Lee Vining, because uh, Gold Rush up in the north catches his attention. He ends up in a bar in Aurora, having a grand old time. This notorious bar when a gunshot rings out, and everybody scatters. And Leroy is found in an alley with a gunshot wound in his leg. It was his own gun. Aww. Shot himself. But uh, nonetheless, he's uh, still immortalized. Lee Vining, the Mono Cone. All those important <laughs> places. Uh, Whoa, Nelly Deli, was that you talking about it? The mobile station. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all those great spots that uh, Lee Roy would be so proud of. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. So here it is, uh, the fi- 1850s, and uh, and the Mono Indian Trail, pretty well uh, well known. Um, the Indians, of course, are eventually um, disbanded. Um, tensions between them and the Paiutes on the east side lead to uh, to a little battle, and, and most of the Indians, it's understood, are are killed off. A few remain. Uh, but Chief Tanaya is one of the ones who are, are killed. Um, but the Mono-Indian Trail still uh, continues on. And, and into the 50s, those miners start to move over to the east side here. Uh, but they can't get their essentials over the, uh, the Sierra. It's hard for miners because the Mono-Indian Trail is made for Indians. And the miners are using horses. They can't carry all that equipment on the back of their mules and horses. So it comes up to this guy named Tom McGee to blaze that trail to turn it into a horse trail. And he blazes that from the front of his trading post. Smart guy. Yeah. Over the Sierra. And soon um, they're going back and forth with their mining equipment. Mining starts to happen on the other side of the Sierra is over on the east where they're finding silver and indications of gold over there as well Um, and that old Mono Indian Trail starts to get quite a bit of use into the 1860s travelers start coming over that actually visiting Yosemite the first tourists coming over the Mono Indian Trail and in 1863 the geologic survey travels on that trail from Yosemite Valley where they've been marked mapping it out they carry their essential equipment They're surveying equipment up the old Mono Indian Trail, now Tom McGee's Horse Trail. And they get to the center of the park where it goes next to this beautiful mountain that the mapmaker, Mr. Hoffman, and uh, Mr. Gardner climb up to the top of. And Mr. Hoffman gets the honor of having it named after him, Mount Hoffman. He uh, names the lake after a lady he's interested in. It's a pretty good move. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> her name is Lucy Mayota Brown and his her dad's an interesting character who wrote for the Atlantic Monthly uh Jay Ross Brown and uh he uh, he's captured a lot of the time period and somehow Mr. Hoffman and Lucy Mayota Brown met each other maybe over in some of that mining activity on the east side and uh, the two fell in love, and they end up getting married just a short time later in the late 1860s. So Mount Hoffman has beautiful May Lake sitting on it, named for Lucy Mayota Brown, Mr. Hoffman's future wife. Um, So there they are, traveling that old Mono-Indian Trail with their essential government survey equipment, mapping out areas, and including naming of that meadow officially as Tuolumne Meadows. Um into the 60s, more action, as sheep herders use that road. It gets bigger and more impacted. Sheep are coming up by the thousands, by the ten thousands. Between them all, 100,000 or more sheep roam in the high country. One of those sheep herders coming up has some essentials of his own, Um, but not so much essential tangibles, but maybe some essential ideas. It's 1868, and that sheep herder is John Muir, hired by Mr. Delaney. We have Delaney Creek up here in Tuolumne Meadows, hired by Mr. Delaney to be a bit of an overseer and a sheep herder. He uh, falls in love with this place, and um, and being a a religious person starts to preach about it, you know, preach to the world eventually. And, And, of course, John Muir becomes a father of environmentalism. He does some other preaching that uh, now we're not so sure is a good thing. Uh, He talked about uh, the American Indians, and he's pretty harsh about it. But at the same time, he was pretty harsh about talking about a lot of people, Um, whether it was the Indians or the sheep herders. His wife used to make him go on long-extended vacations. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying.
0: Thanks for listening to part two of Early Trails and Settlement of Yosemite. I will be back in two weeks for part three of this four-part series when we will continue our walk through the earliest days of Yosemite's Western Settlement. I think it is important to point out here that even though this is the period of written, recorded history in Yosemite, this is certainly not where history began for this region. I cannot express enough how deep-rooted the Awanichi and Yosemite Indians were to the land. There were thousands of years of human settlement in Yosemite, in the Yosemite region, and Yosemite Valley, before white settlers arrived, and they weren't the only ones here at the time either. There were also Mexican, Chinese, and black populations in early California, as well as women and children. We only know the stories of the white male settlers more by because they were by and large the ones writing them down and being published. That's why they call it his story. <laughs> so this history is coming from them from them, and what they said happened. A lot of information can be cross-referenced, but I'm sure there will always be some discrepancies and embellishments that we'll learn about later on. The point I'm trying to make is that although this is the history most familiar to us, the period of time between the first white settlers arriving in Yosemite Valley Uh, to today is but a drop in the bucket of the potential 10 millenniums that people have been here. I just think it's important for our understanding of the place to acknowledge its entire history, even though we may not know as much about it. In the last episode of this series, at the very end, Brian mentioned changing the name of the valley from Awani to Yosemite. Uh, back in 1851. And he alludes to the name Majestic, which is what we called the Awani Hotel during a very weird transition period from one concession company to another starting in 2016. And he kind of makes a joke about it. It's at the very end, it's hard to catch, but he's like, We're going to change you- the name of this valley from Awani to Yosemite, but it's better than the Majestic, so that's okay. So I just want to kind of fill you in on that story. So from 2016 to 2019, we had to change a lot of the names in Yosemite while intellectual property values were being decided. Curry Village then was called Half Dome Village. Badger Pass was the Yosemite Ski and Snowboard area. And even the words Yosemite National Park were considered intellectual property for souvenir items. So t-shirts, mugs, magnets, and everything else that fell under that category could not have those words Yosemite National Park written down together. Instead, the company printed Yosemite California on those items. So if you visited Yosemite and bought something in the gift store, from 2016 to 2019, it will say Yosemite California on it, and not Yosemite National Park. Um, and that goes for the concessionaires' gift stores, so like the Big Village Store and the Curry Village Gift Store. But nothing inspired outrage in people during that day during that time more than us changing the name of the Iwani Hotel to the Majestic Hotel. I was conducting hotel tours during that time, um, and I was actually booed. <laughs> Boo! (laughs) When I would refer to the hotel as the Majestic. Like it was my fault or something. And mind you, this was a complimentary tour for the general public at the time. But when I was asked directly how I felt about the name change, I just kind of shrugged my shoulders, which made them really upset. (laughs) I didn't actually care. And in fact, I thought it was a nice way to start the conversation about names, especially that one, what it meant and where it came from. So before Western settlers arrived, everything had a different name. El Capitan was called Tutacanula, Half Dome was called Tissiac, Brattleville Fall was called Pahono, and Yosemite was Awani, and so on, hundreds and hundreds of names. So when white settlers arrived, not only did those names change, an entire way of life changed, the landscape changed. Things changed in ways we cannot even begin to imagine. So, no, I was not upset about the Hwani Hotel being called the Majestic. I knew it was only for a short amount of time anyway. Uh, My life was not disrupted by it, except for the occasional boos and hisses I would get from people coming on my free educational program. I knew it wasn't personal though. I am so grateful that I get to live and work in one of the most extraordinary places on this planet and that I get to walk the paths tread by people from thousands of years before me. Although our purposes on those trails may differ, I can imagine that we shared the love and gratitude for such a remarkable place. One day, those paths will grow over, no one will walk them anymore, and I and everyone before me will be forgotten. But we were all here at one time, whether anyone knows it or not. We are all a part of the story. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Little Yo Pod. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send an email to littleyopod at gmail.com. You can also follow and message me on Instagram and Facebook at littleyopod. If I don't get back to you right away, please forgive me. I have just been all over the place this summer and I don't actually get to catch up on emails too often. But I promise I will get to you eventually. So if you like this podcast, please leave me a rating and review so more people can find us. And it also makes me really happy to read your reviews, even though I can't respond to all of them. I appreciate everyone who has taken the time to leave a review. And just know that I read every single one of those as well, and they bring a huge smile to my face. Also, check out Yosemite.org, the Yosemite Conservancy website, and that's the nonprofit group that works with the Park Service who I work for. Um, check out their website for Yosemite merchandise and upcoming programs and ways to donate uh, to upcoming and ongoing Yosemite projects. We still have backpacking trips with spaces available this season, and we also have twice weekly naturalist walks and astronomy programs, but those all need to be registered for ahead of time, so check out that website for more information, and I will leave a link for that in the show notes as well as ways to reach me. Alright guys, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Little Yo Pod. I'm Laura Jackson, thanks so much for listening, and I will see you in Yosemite.